Well, if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be there a little bit this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you have an app on your phone or, or uh, something else, then you can open up there. Uh, otherwise, we'll have some scriptures up on the screens that you can follow along as well. But Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning because it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching us about life in His kingdom, about what it looks like to be people in His kingdom, what it looks like for us to have our lives shaped by His kingdom. And it's there in Matthew 6 that we find this teaching on prayer and how prayer can be a shaping, transformative part in our life. Um, questions and difficulties as we already brainstormed this morning about how we, things that kind of get in the way of our prayer life. Uh, and as was mentioned already, one of the big questions that, ru- that loom out there is this aspect of unanswered prayer. Does it work? What happens? Am I saying the right things? Does God listen to special people? And so I should ask certain people to pray because they pray better than I do. And all those kinds of things that kind of loom out there that are difficult. And Jesus has a teaching on prayer. There's a mystery to this, te- to this aspect of life with God in prayer that we don't have a full wrap our mind around. There, there, we can't kind of wrap it up in a nice little package and just understand every aspect about how prayer is and what it means and what it does in our life. There's a mystery to it. There's a part of it that just kind of is that we need to kind of step into. And my hope this week in this series is that we would make strides in our prayer life. That your prayer life would take steps in a positive direction as a result of our time together. That we would learn with each other how to have a transformative life where our life is taken on the character and the image of Jesus through the discipline and through the practice of regular prayer. We're going to look, like I said earlier, at what's come to know, what's come down to us to be known as the Lord's Prayer. And it's not a formula. It's not like a just say these things. It's not a magical incantation where if you just said those things, then magically everything's going to work out exactly the way you want them to. Rather, Jesus is giving us a framework, a way to see the world, a way to see our life, and a way to see the kingdom of God to where we can become the kind of people that God desires us to become, that our souls desire to become. And the Lord's Prayer, if we pursue it like this in a practice of prayer on a regular basis, it can have the aspect or the impact of transforming our life. Our vision will be clear. Our, 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 our lenses will be wiped clean so we can see clearly and see directive what God would have us to do. And before getting into all of the Lord's Prayer, before jumping into all that teaching, Jesus has some words of caution about prayer that we need to hear as well. Some words of pause a little bit before he gets into this teaching. So in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, verse 5 and 6, Jesus says, Jesus says this, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who, is, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The first bit of caution that Jesus gives us when talking about our prayer life and talking about how to grow in a life with God through prayer is to be not, not be so uh, involved in, in trying to impress 
other people. Don't try to impress others with the words and by the way in which you pray. And in Jesus' day, this would have been very practical because it was, not com- it was pretty common for people to stand in the synagogue or stand on the corner and they would pray literally by standing up and by having their arms outstretched like this with their, either their head raised up or their head bowed. But they would literally yell or speak very loudly their prayers. And Jesus is saying, be careful not to do your prayers in order to impress other people. Because that's not the point. You're missing the point if your prayer life, if your idea of praying is in order to impress other people with your knowledge or with your ability or with the words or the eloquence of your prayers, then you're missing the point. And for Jesus' day, that would have been really kind of practical teaching. But for us, we don't really run into very many people standing on the corner or standing up in church or in some synagogue someplace where they're just outstretching, they're yelling their prayers out there. Right? That just doesn't really happen very often. But if you've been in a prayer meeting like I've been in a prayer meeting, then sometimes somebody's praying out loud in a group setting and their prayers are really good. And they're, man, they've got really good words. And your own insecurities can kind of start going, oh, I'm up next. I better say something really good. I better. So you start rehearsing in your mind what you're going to pray like seconds before you're about to pray. Anyone else do that? Or is that just me? Please tell me there's at least one person in the room. Okay. Because that is, and Jesus has a word of caution here. He says, friends, you're missing the point. The point is not to impress other people. It's not to try and get responses from other people. The point is to pray to God who's unseen, who sees all that is unseen. He gives us a word of caution. Second word of caution that Jesus says, and he goes on, verses 7-8, through he says, When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because there are many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. So the first word of caution, Jesus says, don't try to impress other people. The second word of caution, Jesus says, prayer isn't superstitious. Prayer isn't trying to just say the right words and the right formula in the right way. Sometimes if we're just being truthful, one of the difficulties in prayer is we think that if we say the right words in the right way with the right tone of voice, then somehow God's going to hear us now. Or if we, if we hold our hands a certain way or if we do it a certain way, then God would hear us. And Jesus is saying, you've missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. It's about having a conversation. It's about learning to listen It's about communing with the God of the universe who desperately wants to be known and involved in your life. You've missed the point when all you're trying to do is manipulate Him to do what you want Him to do. You've missed the point. Sometimes our approach to prayer is one of the reasons why it gets difficult in our life is because we approach prayer like a laundry list of things to do. We want God to do these things. So we show up and we just want Him to knock these things out and just get these things done for us rather than have a relationship with God and Jesus says God already knows God already knows you don't need to sit there and just kind of run through your list of things and just have to feel like you're babbling on and on to try and manipulate God to do what you want him to do God knows so just calm down you don't need to impress other people you don't need to impress God you don't need to manipulate him take a deep breath and calm down so then the question remains why do we pray? What's this whole thing about? Why do we pray? And that gets right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. 
It gets right to the truth of what Jesus is teaching us about the Sermon on the Mount, that life in God's kingdom has a way of shaping our, our lenses and our minds and our ways of thinking to be more in line with who God is, with the world that God has for us, and that we can live in his reality. The Sermon on the Mount is a great teaching, the greatest teaching ever recorded of Jesus. And the center point of Jesus' teaching is that we will learn to seek after God's kingdom. Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. Above everything else, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Prioritize his kingdom. Reorient your mind around the kingdom of God. Have that truth to be the first truth in your mind, and all these other things will be added unto you. It's right after that Jesus is teaching on worry and about anxiety and about all these things. He says, don't worry about all those things. But seek first the kingdom of God. Prioritize your life under his rule and under his reign in his kingdom. Seek first that. So why pray? Because prayer has a way of shaping us into his kingdom. Reminding us and, re- and giving our minds clarity of, of sight to our priorities are set the way they're supposed to be. That reshapes our understanding of this world and of our life under his kingdom. Where, why we pray is not about an antidote to clean up our messes or to manipulate God to do what we want him to do. But we pray in order to align ourselves with what God wants and to align ourselves with his will, with his kingdom, so that we can see clearly and we can live accordingly. Prayer is about, more about shaping us than it is about bending God's ear and making him do what we want him to do. It's about shaping us so we can see clearly about what God would have us do and that we would be obedient and live accordingly. And after all these cautions, after all these cautions of don't trying to impress other people and don't just keep babbling on to trying to manipulate God, Jesus comes to this Lord's Prayer. And he says this to his followers. He says, this is how you are to pray. Matthew 6, verses 7 on, or or 9 on, sorry. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This prayer that we're going to give our attention to over these next few weeks, and my hope and my thought through this series is that we would have an encounter with Jesus and that through this prayer, that our lives would be more aligned and more uh, in sync with where God has for us, what he would lead us for. There are three things I'm going to ask of each of us throughout this series. Three ways in which we can engage with what God may be doing and shaping us into a kind of people that are consistent in His kingdom. And the first is when we gather on Sunday mornings that we come to learn a little bit more about, the, about who God is through this prayer. We're going to take each line, line by line through the prayer, and that we would engage with seeking to understand who God is through what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. So we come with anticipation on Sunday mornings. That as we gather, we come to, under, to seek to understand who God is as He describes Himself through the Lord's Prayer. And the second thing we can do is that we can engage in conversation beyond Sunday morning. Because in 
community and conversation in community can help shape our understanding and help transform our lives to the image of Jesus. To help you with this, we've put together little study questions. So each week, there'll be a piece of paper like this on the backs of the high-top tables in the back of the worship center. There'll be one in the lobby as well. And my encouragement is to not only come on Sundays and to understand each line of the Lord's Prayer, but to grab one of these study questions and to grab somebody in your life at a coffee house or at your coffee table, at your dinner table, at your life group someplace, and have a conversation about the Lord's Prayer and what it shapes and how it is shaping your prayer life. Have a conversation in community. And then thirdly, and finally, my, my ask of us is that we, would, that we would commit this prayer to memory and recite it on a regular basis throughout the weeks. That we would come on Sundays anticipating and understanding what Jesus is teaching us in each of these lines. That we would engage in conversations around in community around the Lord's Prayer. And then thirdly, we would memorize and recite the prayer on a regular basis, just as a practice that we would do this together. And we'll say it together at the end of each of our series, or in each of our uh, uh, sermons, at the, each, at the end of each of our services, we'll say it together. Some of you already have it memorized and you have it in the old school King James Version. We're going to change it a little bit, freshen it up a little bit for you. But we're going to try to commit this to memory, to keep it in the front of our minds, not because it's rote memory, it's just kind of a routine, but hopefully these words can have a way of shaping our lives over the next period of weeks where our lives and our our hearts and our minds can be transformed and more aligned with what God's kingdom is rather than our own. Fair enough? That's what we're going to do. Well, this morning, in the brief moments we have left, this morning I've got, we're going to consider the first line in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want us to notice a couple of things, at least right away. And first of all, Jesus begins this prayer with the words, Our Father. Begins the words with Our Father. And right away he establishes that life with God that communication with God and life with God in His kingdom is a communal one. It's a communal one. He says, our Father. Teaches His disciples to pray by using the word our Father. We have a tendency in our over-individualistic world and our life that kind of elevates do-it-all-on-your-own, kind of privatized faith, privatized Christianity, that we have a tendency to look at our faith and our life with God as just a me and Jesus thing. That's very private, that this is my life with God. This is a very private endeavor. I don't need to talk to anybody else about it, and I'll do what's good for me, and you can do what's good for you. But Jesus right away establishes that life in God's kingdom is an our life. It's a communal life, which means maturity in Christ. My maturity in Christ is intricately connected with your maturity in Christ. And it's an our thing. It's not a me and my thing. It's an us and our issue. And prayer with God is not just about me, it's about us. And you might be thinking for a second, you know, Brian, you're making a big deal out of one small, tiny little word at the beginning of this prayer. I mean, just move on with it. we got lots of other things to do with it. But let me give you a little teaser about the rest of the prayer, right? Jesus says, our Father. But he also says, give us today our daily, our daily bread. Forgive us as we have forgiven, and do not lead us into temptation. This whole prayer is sapping with the communal life of God. 
Life with God is not a private thing where it's just between me and Him, but it's us. And our prayers are not just a me prayer. It's a we prayer. It's about us. Jesus establishes right away the, that life with God and in His kingdom is a very communal thing. It's not a private thing. It's a communal thing. But in the second word, He uses Father. He demonstrates that our life with God is based on the love of God. It's based on the love of God. Jesus establishes that our relationship with God is very personal. And He invites us to call God Father. Very personal based on His love for us. And unfortunately, in our culture, the word Father can have a wide range of reactions. For those of you who came from a loving, intact family, you might resonate with that notion that God is a Father and you, that seems good and it sings to your soul and you have a very tangible ability to understand that. But some of you have had different circumstances with your dads. Difficult dads. Absent dads. And for one reason or another, you might have this hard time relating to God as a father, to be loving, to be present, to be personal, to be involved. You may have a difficult understanding of God as father because your earthly father was not a very good representation of who God is. And if, it's that, if that's you this morning, first thing I want to tell you right away is that you're not alone. I'd be willing to bet that there are others in our midst this morning that have a very similar story, feel the same way. But for Jesus, the term Father, the term Father would denote perfect, perfect sacrificial love. A perfect sacrificial love. Jesus describes God as a Father who waits in anticipation when His Son leaves and squanders his family's wealth and waits eagerly awaiting for his son to return and when he sees his son rushes to him and throws a party who wipes away tears and forgives and gives grace jesus describes god as a kind of father who knows how to good give good gifts to his children and who lavishes them with love and just simply loves to watch them enjoy the gifts that he's given them Jesus describes God as a perfect, loving, sacrificing Father. And whatever your experience has been with your earthly father, Jesus wants you to know in this prayer in the very beginning that you have a perfect Heavenly Father who loves you with sacrifice, with sacrificial love, whose disposition towards you, whose look towards you is one of love and of personal relationship. While God is, and life with God is communal, it's based on His personal love for you. He invites you to call Him Father. Not deity, not God, not title, not some other kind of cold term, but a personal relationship kind of term. Father. And if you can understand God as a loving Father, it will give you confidence in your relationship with Him. Those difficulties that we talked about when, in the prayer life when we were brainstorming and someone had said that I feel unworthy 
I feel undeserving to walk in. If you can understand that God is not a distant deity with His arms folded and His scowl on His face, but is a perfect, sacrificial, loving Father whose disposition towards you is personal and based on His love for you, then it gives you all sorts of confidence to see Him and to walk into His presence. He says, Our Father. Our Father. Second phrase that Jesus says, he says, our Father in heaven. And a lot of times in our context, we think of heaven as some distant place, that future destination that somehow, hopefully we go there when we die, but it's just some place out there, distant away from us. Away from us. But when Jesus is speaking about heaven, he's not talking about a future destination. He's talking about a current reality. Quite literally, we could have translated this phrase here that Jesus was saying, our Father in the heavens. In the heavens. And the ancient world understood the world as in the kind of the cosmos as having various levels of heavens. That there was the, the large heavens where the stars and the planets are. Then there was the atmosphere around. But then there was this heavenly area around us, the air that we breathe. And so when Jesus is saying, Our Father in heaven, he's, desc- he's describing God that is close, that is close right here, closer than the air that you're breathing. He's not distant out in some future destiny kind of way out there, but he's close at hand. Even closer than the air that you are breathing, God is close to us. Jesus describes the life with God and a life in his kingdom was one where we can understand the closeness of God. That it is based on this communal life, devoted out of his love for us, and that he is close. Close. Right here. And while he's close and he's right here, he's the God of the heavens. That He's not just personal in my own little space, but he also has the perspective of all the heavens. That he doesn't, have the, doesn't just have the proximity and the closeness of a loving father, but he has the perspective of the whole heavens. That he's got all of it in mind. And we can get our minds, if we can get our minds away from our personal individual thing and see things from a grander perspective, it can change things. And this is how God sees the world. His perspective is from the heavens. He sees it all. He's got perfect vision. Our vision is finite and limited. But His is infinite, perfect, unlimited vision. He sees it from the heavens. This is what the prophet Isaiah says when God's speaking through Isaiah and He says it this way. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Because while God has the closeness or the proximity of a loving Father, He has the perspective of all the heavens. His vision is perfect. Jesus invites us to pray, Our Father in heaven. That we would have this understanding that God is as close as a loving Father, but has the perspective, perfect perspective, of heaven. And in this first line, he ends it with, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Which means, may your reputation, may your name be great. May it be enhanced. May everyone come to know how wonderful you are, how awesome you are. May your name be made holy. Because God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of praise. His name is holy. And it is to be made great and to be proclaimed great among the people, among the nation. 
And we are told in the Scriptures that one day it will be made great. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That all of it points to God's glory because He is most worthy of being praised. So there is a time when all things, when everybody would recognize the glory and the greatness of God. But there's another way in which God's name is to be made great. And it's a part of this Lord's Prayer. And it's a part of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. There's another way in which God's name is to be made great and be made to be glory and to be made praised. And that is between, be, because of us, because you and because of me. Listen to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they would see your good deeds and they would glorify your Father in heaven. When we follow after Jesus and we are obedient to His ways and where we seek to his, live His life in holiness and according to His ethics and according to His way, then we make, na- make His name great and famous, and people see our lives and they glorify God. Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name by saying, may your name be great. Not only out there in the world, but may your name, may your way, may your life be made great in me. May my life reflect the greatness of God the Father. May who I am reflect it. What's so amazing about this prayer, just in this one beginning phrase of this prayer that Jesus is teaching us, is not about getting God to do what we want Him to do. It's not about kind of uh, moving some gear shifts and, and manufacturing God to do what we want Him to do. It's not asking God to clean up our messes. It's not asking God to kind of move in ways in which He's not ready to do or wanting to do. It's about me saying, God, I want your name to be great in my life. I want you to be glorified. For when people see me, may they see you. And because of which, may your life, may your kingdom, may your glory shine forth. So much packed in this one line of the Lord's Prayer. Because we realize that you and I were created by someone bigger than us. We're a part of a story that's bigger than us. This is a communal life that we've been invited to, a very personal life with God where He invites you to call Him Father. Invites you to call Him Father. And where He's inviting you to participate with Him where you would make God's name great in your life. That you would proclaim it. And that when people see your life, they would see the glory of God. They would see the glory of God. And in this way, when we pray this way, it has a way of shaping us. So it's not so much about me, not so much about my will or about getting what I want, but realigning me to what God wants in his life. And as Jesus famously said, when we learn to lose our life for his sake, we'll find it. When we lose our life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel, we will find that which our soul is so desperately longing for. So Jesus invites us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I pray that as we get into this series, that we would follow Jesus in this way. That you would come to know the closeness or the proximity of God as Father. 
That His life with us is based on His love for us. Sacrificial, perfect love. And that His perspective is perfect. That His sight is perfect. That what He says is nothing less than perfection. Because He's Father in heaven. And may His name be great in the world and may it be great in us as we follow Him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we recognize that we come to to you with all sorts of mixed feelings and mixed stories and our life has been crazy at times and sometimes we have neglected our life with you. We've just been busy. I pray that as we zero our thoughts on you and as we concentrate on this teaching of your prayer that you give us, I pray that you would mold us to see you, to align our lives with you, that we may live eternal life right now. May your name be great in our church, in our families, and in our personal lives. May we give glory to you, for you are worthy of everything we have. Amen.